Schmidt, I'm the senior pastor. Oh yeah, you can applaud that. That's great. We have a very gifted worship team, and I'm glad that we could be a, that uh, you are here for this final installment of our Christmas series entitled "Behind the Music." You just heard uh, our worship team uh, perform "Joy to the World," a song written by Isaac Watts about 300 years ago. The interesting thing about the story is it is the most requested, uh, the most often uh, printed uh, Christmas carol sung in, in English. Uh, the, the funny thing about it, though, is, is that Isaac Watts, the guy who wrote it those 300 years ago, he never wrote it for Christmas. <laughs> it's not a Christmas carol. In fact, as we're going to explore today, it wasn't about the first coming of Jesus at all. Isaac Watts wrote this as a reflection on the Psalms, in particular Psalm 98, where he wanted to have a song where people could sing about the joy of Jesus' second coming. So I want to talk with you about that today of why it was good news, tidings of great joy that Jesus came into the world the first time, but why it's even more joyful that he's coming a second time. And that's joy to the world. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I want to thank you for the opportunity to be here today and to look at your word. Lord, I thank you that Isaac Watts took some time to reflect on Psalm 98. 
And Lord, we'd like to reflect on that psalm as well, as well as a number of other passages to talk about the joy that will come as a result of your coming into the world again. We thank you for Christmas time when you came as a little baby. And we thank you that soon we will be able to celebrate with the whole world as you come into the world as King of kings and Lord of lords. Bless our time together. I want you to speak, Lord. I ask that you will and you'll move me out of the way. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. If you need a pen, by the way, simply raise your hand. If you didn't grab one on the way in, that way you can fill in the blanks and take some notes as we go along. Point one is what I mentioned just a minute ago. Jesus came into our fallen world the first time as a little baby to restore our relationship with God. Over the last four or five weeks, we've been talking about this. The Christmas carols all sing about this. That an angel appeared to shepherds and told them, hey, there's a baby born over the hill in Bethlehem. Go see. And that's why the angels were singing. It's why the shepherds went. The wise men saw a star that led them to where Jesus came, a little baby. Uh, The scriptures tell us that he was fully God and fully human at the same time so he could rescue us. The writer of Hebrews reflected on this, and he said, Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. Speaking of Jesus, For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. It was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. In Scripture, Jesus is called the Lamb of God. John the Baptist referred to him as that. This is a passage out of Hebrews because it was a letter originally written to Hebrews. Jewish people who understood the whole idea of sacrifice, of animal sacrifice to atone for sins. Each year, a, a lamb or a goat had to be offered as a sacrifice, or a bull had to be offered as a sacrifice for the sins of the family or the sins of the people. The sins of the family would be confessed over the head of the animal, and then the animal's throat would be slit, and its blood would be caught in a bowl, and atonement was made because the animal died in the place of the family. There was, the wages of sin was death, and someone had to die. But because God is merciful, he allowed families to sacrifice an animal every year in their place. Blood was sprinkled on them, by the way, by the priest. And they were reminded then the blood was what saved them. The life of the animal was exchanged for their lives. And forgiveness was made. And people longed for a permanent sacrifice, a permanent lamb, a spotless lamb, someone who could die and end this ritual over and over again. Because every time they'd offer a sacrifice, people knew it wasn't permanent because they'd go back and sin some more. Could there ever be a permanent sacrifice made? And that's why it's so significant that Jesus came into the world because he was human, fully human and fully God. He was able to die in our place because he's one of us. Because he's God in the flesh, he never sinned. And because he was sinless, he could die for me because I am sinful and so are you. So the good news we've been proclaiming throughout this whole series and the reason that people sing all those songs about uh, joy and about angels singing and all these things is because heaven itself was excited. There was finally a permanent sacrifice made, a way made for people to be made right with God. And that's why Jesus came into the world as a little baby, so he could restore the relationship with God. Sinful people could be made right with sinless God. And if that's good news to you this morning, would you say amen? Well, that's joy. Good news. Good tidings of great joy for all people. But Isaac Watts didn't write about that uh, joy. He wrote about point two, that Jesus will come into our fallen world a second time as king of kings. 
not a little baby, but as king of kings, to set things right and to punish sin. And that's why if you open your outline, you'll find Joy to the World written there on the third page. Joy to the world, the Lord is come, let earth receive her king. Jesus is not coming as a little baby in this song. He's coming as a king to rule and to set things right. Here's what John saw, one of Jesus' disciples. He was given a glimpse of the end times, and he wrote down what he saw in a vision. Then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there, and its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. And the armies of heaven dressed in the finest of pure white linen, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. It's all about purity there. He'll release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. If you'd circle the word wrath. And on his robe and on, at his thigh were written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. And he's speaking of Jesus. When Jesus comes a second time, it won't be, uh, you won't need angels to announce it. The heavens will part and he'll come riding a white horse into our very world. In that same chapter in scripture, we find that at that time, a world ruler has come to power and marshaled the world's armies to gather at a place, at a valley of Armageddon. If you ever heard that expression, that's what it's talking about. And when Jesus comes into the world, he will be met there. And there will be people literally shaking their fists at Jesus when he comes back as king of our world. And Jesus will come and execute judgment upon them. The reason it's joy to the world for Isaac Watts, and by the way, Psalm 98 was written by King David. And he talked about what a great day it would be when the king, the rightful king of the world, comes in and sets things right. Uh, the reason it brought joy was because wrongs will be righted and evil will be terminated. I mean, can you imagine a world? There's no more murder, no more hate, no more war, no more rape, no more people taking advantage of the poor, no more death, no more sorrow. I mean, can you imagine such a place? Can you imagine the world actually becoming righteous and good and evil, terminated. Well, David could imagine it. When the king came in, the rightful king, David knew what it was like to be king, but he wasn't the king of kings and he couldn't control the whole world. But Jesus can. He created the world. When he comes back the second time, he will set things right. Paul wrote about this to the Thessalonians. He said, when the Lord appears from heaven, he will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. They'll be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. And when, that, when he comes on that day, he will receive glory from his holy people, praise from all who believe. And this includes you, for you believed what we told you about him. This will be a day of judgment and a day of wrath upon people who have stubbornly and wickedly refused to follow the Lord. Millions of people actually lined up in battle array against him and saying, we will not follow you. We would rather die and be destroyed. And they will be. And evil will be destroyed with them. 
Now, it's important for us to understand a couple of things about this. One immediate question that enters everyone's mind is, well, if this is coming, I mean, when will it happen? And there's a note here that no one knows. I want to make that very clear, that no one knows when this will happen. I have that on good authority, because in the next paragraph I'm quoting Jesus, and Jesus says, no one knows. Would you turn to the person next to you and say, no one knows? Would you do that? No one knows. Okay, there, you heard it from somebody else besides me. All right, there we go. No one knows. I want to make this very clear, because a couple of us, I mean, if you remember uh, two or three years ago, Harold Camping, does anybody remember this guy, the radio guy? Had billboards, buses covered with this. They had radio spots, TV spots. The end of the world was supposed to happen on May 21st, 2011. And on May 22nd and May 23rd, Harold Camping came out and said he was wrong. He really should be October 21st, 2011. October 22nd came and he said, yeah, he was wrong about that too. Well, he died a couple of weeks ago. Harold Camping did. And I want you to know something wonderful. Um... Since October 21st, 2011, and a couple of weeks ago, Harold Camping repented of this. And it made the news all over the place how he had stood up and falsely claimed that he knew when the second coming would be. Well, he repented of that, and he said he was sinful and wrong for doing that, and he asked God to forgive him. That didn't make the headlines. Um, but I'm glad he repented, because that was foolish and wrong. He said it was a great sin that he had committed, and... He told people to read the Bible and see what Jesus said. And so we're going to see what Jesus said. It's right here. Matthew 24. Tell us, when will all this happen? Jesus' disciples were talking about. When are you coming back? Jesus had told them this same stuff. He was going to come back and set things right again. When will all this happen? What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? And Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you. For many will come in my name, claiming I'm the Messiah. Well, they will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there'll be famines and earthquakes in various parts of the world. But all this is only the first of birth pains with more to come. I mean, every time there's a big world war or a big huge war of things, people think, well, this must be the end of the world. Or there's a terrible famine. Maybe this is the end of the world. And Jesus said, well, look, you need to look at those things like birth pains. And birth pains start small and far apart, and they get stronger and stronger. And right before the baby's born, they are real strong. I have to take this from women. I've never experienced it myself. Okay, but anyway, uh, my wife has told me they are very intense. And you know when the baby is coming because the magnitude and the frequency both increase. The pain gets stronger, and the pains get closer together. Well, if you're going to apply that to the world... Wars and rumors of wars, famines, all kinds of ecological disasters. Well, as the time for Christ to come draws near, the wars will get closer together and bigger, and the natural disasters will get closer together and bigger. That should make us all swallow hard. We live in such a time. And that's why this applies to us. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. Many will turn away from being and betray each other. I, I missed that part. I don't want to leave that out. But the one who endures to the end will be saved, and the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. Christians have fanned out all over the world. People are proclaiming the gospel and 
every language of the world, and for those languages where we yet don't have a scripture, there are people like Wycliffe Bible Translators and others that are using supercomputers now to help translate the Bible as fast as possible. And if you go to like Wycliffe Bible Translators, to their headquarters, the verse that I just read to you is up above the entryway, that, and the good news about the kingdom will preach throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, and the end will come. That's what spurs them on. They want Jesus to come back soon and set things right again. No more sin, no more sorrow when Jesus comes back. It'll be done. And so they're busy carrying out the work that God commanded them to do. However, no one knows the day or the hour that these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. And since we don't know, we ought to be busy. And that's why Jesus said all this exactly the way that we read it. Because he wants us to ponder on this constantly and to be ready for his return. And so I want to spend the balance of our time together for giving you four applications of the good news that Jesus is coming back. And why that would be joy to the world. First of all, the first life application is this. You and I must repent while we can. The door is wide open now for any of us to come to Christ. We can all be made right with God through what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. No matter who we are, no matter what we've done. We can come to him. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, Peter wrote, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. I was on a website constructed by some atheists not that long ago. I'd like to read what some people think who absolutely disagree with every single thing that I would tell you here this morning. And uh, some of this, they mock the very passages that I've read. And they point out that the the Thessalonians, the people who lived in Thessalonica, the early Christians, that many of them, Paul had to write these letters because many of them were worried that they had missed the boat because some of them had died before Jesus had returned and they wanted to know if they'd be okay. And so they point out, well, some of these people thought it would happen in their time and Jesus didn't come. And now it's 2,000 years later and he still hasn't come. He's not coming. Well, Peter writes about that and he says, no, a day with the Lord is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. That's the verse right before what I've given you in here. And the Lord isn't being slow. He's giving more time for people to repent. Hey, joy to the world. There is a judgment day coming. But joy to the world, you and I don't have to worry about that because we can come to Christ and have our sins forgiven today. We can be set right with God right now through Jesus Christ our Lord. Good news. Joy to the world. There's a plan to rescue us. And it's been put in place. Come to him. John 1, 12, it's at the top of the second page there in your outline. To all who believed him, speaking of Jesus here, and accepted him, he gave them the right to become the children of God. To all who received him, he gives them the right to become. You and I can come anytime. And if you have come here today, and this has been something you've been putting off for a while, that you need to repent, which means to turn around and turn away from sin and come back to the Lord, let me tell you, today would be a great day. You want to get 2014 off on the right foot? I mean, surrender your life to Jesus. What are you waiting for? The door is wide open right now. Seek the Lord while you can, the prophet Isaiah wrote. While you can find him, call on him now while he's near. 
I will tell you one of the things that gives me great joy as a pastor is to be with people when they surrender their lives to Christ and to baptize them. I mean, I have loved it when I'm baptizing people and they come up out of the water and they grab me and they get me all sloppy, soaking wet. And they hug me and they go, man, I've got new life through Christ and they're rejoicing and it's marvelous. But I want to tell you something that will break your heart in my position is to talk to people. And this happened just not that long ago again. Somebody come into my office and they're troubled about things and they're not right with the Lord and they are sinning and they know they're sinning. And it might be someone they're not willing to forgive or a sin they're not willing to let go of. And we'll talk about all this. You need to surrender this to the Lord. And they go, no. No, maybe later, but not today. And they walk out and I warn them with some of these very scriptures and say, I don't know how much longer you have. I don't know how much longer I have. And you and I need to call on the Lord while he's near, while the time is right, while the door is open. And there will come a day when the full number of people who are ever going to hear will have heard. And the end will come. Joy to the world. There's a plan now. We don't have to face God's wrath. That's the point of grace. I deserve wrath. Should have been me on the cross. Should have been you on the cross. We're the sinners, not Jesus. But he didn't, God didn't take out his wrath on me. He didn't take out his wrath on you. He poured it out on his own son so I could go free. All I need to do is come to him and say, Lord Jesus, save me. That's all you need to do. What are you waiting for? You talk about high stakes poker. Gambling with eternity is as high as the stakes can possibly get. And today is the day of salvation. And the first life application is if you and I have not repented, if any of us have not repented, we must repent. Go back to joy to the world on that page across from you. The first verse again, joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. Let every heart prepare him room. That's the repentance part. Have you prepared room for Christ in your heart? You and I can't save ourselves. I can't die for your sins and you can't die for mine, but he can die for all of us because he is the sinless one that God sent in the world to cleanse us from our sin. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. A second life application for us is this. You and I must be ready all of the time. If we have received Christ, then we need to be ready and be busy about God's business, not idly speculating about October 11th, 2011, or October 21st, 2011, or other things, and wasting people's time and energy and talking about all kinds of dates that we made up in our heads. That's not what God wants. He wants us to be busy doing his work, showing God's love to a world that is in dire need of it. Now, concerning how and when all this would happen, Paul is writing to the Thessalonians again here. Dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write you, for you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly, like a thief in the night. When people are saying everything's peaceful and secure, well, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin. There's the labor pains again. And there will be no escape. But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief, for you're children of the light and of the day, and we don't belong to the darkness and night. So be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive when he returns, 
we can live with him forever. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you're already doing. We're supposed to encourage each other and build each other up and remind each other that we are children of the light. That's why if you came on Christmas Eve and were able to participate in a candle lighting service, we were acting that out. That Jesus said he's the light of the world. He came to bring light to our dark world. A world filled with hatred and sin and darkness. And he discipled his students, his followers, the disciples. He taught them about God and he taught them about God's love for them. About God's plan for the whole world. And he told them, and they followed him and surrendered their lives to him. And he said, now I want you to go and teach, make other disciples and teach them everything I taught you. And so they did. And at the candlelighting service, the flame spreads all through the room. And the challenge we left everyone with is, now we're the light of the world. We're not children of the dark. I mean, if you have a light, you don't have to be afraid of the dark. If you're ready, you don't need to be afraid of the pop quiz. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. I'm ready. I had one class in college that was a great source of frustration for me. And the reason why it was a great source of frustration wasn't the material itself. It's just that I was uh, part of a basketball team at that time in college. And there would be a lot of times I didn't have enough time to get all the homework done. And our professor was a physics class. And our professor was just a stickler on everybody doing all the homework every night. And he knew I was a part of the basketball team. And so if we had a game the night before, we had a class the next day, he knew I wouldn't have done this. And he wanted to make a special point out of everybody doing their homework. So he'd go, Mr. Schmidt, did you do your homework last night? I'd go, no, sir, I did not. Oh, you won't pass my class, Mr. Schmidt. And he, he did this, you know, four or five times in the spring semester. And it got really awkward, okay? Everybody's looking, wow, he's got it in for you, John. And it's like... And I was doing okay in the class and stuff, but after our season ended, I remember the, um, we had a game, it was the last game of the season, and um, after that last day, I stayed up the whole night, just about the whole night, doing all the homework so I could go to class in case he called on me, and sure enough, he did. Mr. Schmidt, did you do the homework? And he had his back to me, he was writing on the board, and I go, yes, sir, I did. And he turned around, and he went, prove it. And I went, all right. And so he had me write out a few of the problems on the board, and then he had me explain them to the whole class. I went, okay. And after the class was over, he asked me to stick around afterward. He said, I've been really hard on you this semester. And I went, oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) And he goes, but I'm not going to be hard on you anymore. You were ready. Are we ready? I mean, what if Jesus comes riding, what the clouds part this afternoon? Would you and I be ready? I mean, the call and the challenge to all of us is to live as children of the light. Why would I be looking at filthy stuff on the internet? I'm a child of the king. I'm going to heaven. Why do I want to go back into that mire? That's the sin that Christ saved me from. Why am I going to be passing on gossip to somebody else and spend an hour on the phone talking about things I should never talk about with anybody else? And Jesus comes back, what are you doing, John? And we're supposed to be clear-headed. That's why Christians don't want to go around getting drunk. I can't be much of a light when I'm smashed. We're supposed to be making the most of our time and our resources. That's why we don't want to fritter it away. 
spending it all on ourselves and wasting it. It's supposed to be a light of the world. Hey, it's joy to the world. You and I don't need to fear God's return. Now, if we're ready, I didn't need to fear that professor calling on me. Mr. Schmidt, did you do the homework? Yes, I did. Read him and weep. And wouldn't it be great when Christ came back and he said, John, I'm here. I'm ready, Lord. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. And that's how God wants us to be. We say, joy to the world. Everything's going to be made right again. And that brings us to point three. The third application for you and me in this is that you and I need to live lives of joyful hope. For all creation is waiting eagerly. This is Romans 8, Paul in Romans 8, waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. And against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. Ever since the Garden of Eden, in the Garden of Eden, things were perfect. There was no pain or sorrow or death there, but that all entered the world when Adam and Eve sinned, and that sin has been carried on in us. And all of creation has suffered with it. That's why there are floods and famines and thorns and there's a curse on all of creation. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth, there it is again, right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies that he's promised us, we were given this hope when we first were saved, when we were saved. When you come to Christ, you have a glorious hope. Not only that we'll live forever, we're going to live forever in brand new bodies that will never die again. Brand new bodies that will never age, never fall apart. If that's good news to anybody, would you say amen? <laughs> oh, man. I'm telling you, this aging thing really convinces me that there's a curse. I look at the guy in the mirror, and he's getting older. And I thank God for brand new bodies and the hope of that. Skip this next uh, passage of scripture in your outline from 1 Thessalonians. I'll come back in a little bit. I want to read you Psalm 98. This is where joy to the world came from. When God came in judgment, David wrote this. He said, sing a new song to the Lord for he has done wonderful deeds. Shout to the Lord, all the earth, break out in praise and sing for joy because things are going to be made right again. Make a joyful symphony before the Lord, the King. Let the sea and everything in it shout his praise. Let the earth and all living things join in. Let the rivers clap their hands in glee. Let the hills sing out their songs of joy before the Lord. For the Lord is coming to judge the earth. He'll judge the world with justice and nations with fairness. He's going to set things right. Now go to joy the world across the page there. The second verse. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. We just read that in Psalm 98. Let the hills sing out their songs of joy before the Lord, that the rivers clap their hands. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. No more let sins and sorrows grow, the third verse, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. The curse will be lifted on creation. So I know this isn't a Christmas song about his first coming. It must be about his second coming because thorns still infest the ground. There's still crabgrass in my front yard. And sin and sorrows still grow in this world. But when Jesus comes back, that will stop forever. Forever. 
No more sin, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more pain, no more dying, no more growing old, no more falling apart. Heaven. Joy to the world. And that even gets better, and that's why I want to go back to that passage of script. First, let's skip there, First Thessalonians 4.15. Now we who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God and first the Christians who have died will rise from their graves then together with them we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. We're also going to be reunited with all the saints who have gone before us. And this gives us great hope. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. We make room in our hearts for him. He restores us. And so while we live in this world, he gives us hope. And he gives us a whole new perspective on life. And he changes the way we think about everything. And then when he comes the second time, he'll change. He's already changed us on the inside. He'll change us on the outside. And we'll have brand new bodies that will never die again. Joy to the world. I can't wait to be reunited with all the saints who've gone before us and sing together with angel choirs. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. His love is wonderful. And he wants all nations to know about this, and that brings us to the fourth life application. You and I must be ambassadors of this good news ambassadors. Paul wrote about this too. So we are Christ's ambassadors and God's making his, as though God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ. We plead, we plead, come back to God for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And joy to the world, we get a chance to let our little light shine. In 2014, God wants us to burn brightly for him. If Jesus comes back in 2014, everything will be made right. And you and I get a chance to tell people the good news about Christ. Their sins can be forgiven. They can be made right with God. The relationship can be restored right now. And not that long from now, all of creation will be restored. And we'll live with him forever in heaven. I mean, this is great joy. This is the best news ever. It's why it's called the good news. That's good news. And so in 2014, we need to be praying now, Lord, would you allow me to be a light for you? Why would I want to keep this to myself? Some of you came to Christ in 2014. I know you write me emails. You go, this is the best Christmas ever. I finally get it. My life has changed. Well, do you know we have coworkers and family members and neighbors on the street? They need that light in their lives. They need hope. And if you are willing, then God can use us to be a light in their lives. And so I'd like to lead us in a word of prayer today. We're at the end of one year, about to start another. What if Jesus comes back this year? What have I been postponing? What has he called me to do? When am I going to step out and say, God, with whatever time I have left, if you come this year or 10 years or 100 years from now, or if I live another five years 
or 15 minutes, Lord, I want to make the most of that time. And so, God, I'm going to devote my life to you. And God, if you give me the opportunity, then I want to burn brightly for you this year. Would you give me the opportunity to tell people about you? Would you give me the words to say? Would you give me the boldness to say it? And the conviction I need to do that? Because God wants the whole world, as many as possible, to come to him. He hasn't forgotten us. He's not being slow. He's just giving more time for people to repent. Would you pray with me, please? God, I pray that um, you will use us to be ambassadors of the good news of this joy to the world, that you've come into the world and made a plan. You've made a way possible that our sins can be dealt with and paid for. And I pray, Lord, we would tell people far and wide about that. I pray that you will give us the right words to say at the right time. Lord, none of us want to be obnoxious and we don't want to go force people to do anything they don't want to do. But God, there are people all around us who have no hope and they live in darkness. Some of them are caged in an addiction. Some of them are trapped in guilt and shame. Some of them, Lord, are just, they've just given up because life has been so hard to them. And I pray, Lord, that we can winsomely and effectively tell others about you. Father, I pray if there's someone here this morning who came in and needs to repent, that today they would do it and just say, Lord, why am I fighting you? I'm a sinner and I know it and I need you to forgive me. Please restore me. And God, if there's something you're calling us to do, I pray that in 2014 we'd get on with it. And we would not delay. I have no idea how much life I have left. I have no idea when you'll return, Lord, but I want to be found busy about your business whenever you come. And Lord, I want to be a person who lives with joy in my heart, not walking around with a frown. Lord, there's hope through Christ. There's joy through Christ. There's eternal life through Christ. And God, I pray that we will live lives of joyful expectancy. Put a smile on our faces, Lord. Put hymns in our heart. Make us like David and Make us like Isaac Watts wrote this song. People who just want to give glory to you. We pray these things in the wonderful name of Christ our Lord. Amen.